You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. And this is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for all of us to get our hands dirty. Pastor. Dr. Robin. Here we are. The first episode of season three. What the what? I can't believe it. I can't, I can't believe a lot of things. I can't believe that we uh, are starting on year three of this um, because our seasons run the full calendar year. Mm -hmm. And so this begins season three. We have over a hundred episodes under our belt. We started this podcast before the pandemic. Before we did. But in the same year as the pandemic. Exactly. Yes. I will never forget the very first recording that we did. Um, I was in, I was in I, uh, Iowa. I was in Iowa getting yeah. prepped for the primary. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Joe Biden hadn't even become the Democratic nominee. Right. Uh, I, I remember exactly where I was when we first recorded, and I'm just stunned that we are here now. Do you remember, though, when I asked you that, or, or, or when I said, I think that we should start a podcast? Yes. I told you you were fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And was convinced that no one would listen and didn't understand why that was something we needed to put on our list of weekly things to do. And right. yet here we are. Yep. We have an amazing listening audience and all of you that are hearing this over the airwaves are included in that. And we're grateful. Um, you alone have been what's enabled us to keep going to this third season. I mean, oh. if we, if no one was listening, we would have stopped a long time ago. I mean, yep. you and I have been talking to ourselves for a really long time. We could keep yep. doing that and not do it on a podcast. It's true. It's true. But, you know, uh, the thing that I think about is and, – and I think the thing that has been so important to me as a scholar is how do we make things accessible to people? And we have – decidedly grounded this conversation in both story and translation of theory. And we end up doing a lot of public theology and politicized theology through and by this podcast. And I, I think that we are building the kind of discourse that needs to be had right now, uh, because as we know, in 2022, the world is still on fire. Yes. As it was when we started this podcast. 
and there's so much suffering. People are still living and dying of COVID. And in Tennessee, in, a, in one of the states where people don't believe it's real, the numbers are off the charts. Yeah, they're through the roof. Um, we'll circle back to COVID, but it is it is interesting. And, and I'm grateful that we have found a way for um, an, a highly educated, smart academic and a non-academic but very smart. Smart, but, you know, like street preacher <laughs> to uh, to really kind of build the discourse that you speak of. And I, I do believe that the accessibility piece has been critical for us because I joke with you all the time for you to like say it again in a word mm-hmm. that I like in a way I can understand it. Yeah. <laughs> talk to yeah. me. Talk to me like I'm a grad student, not a PhD yeah. student. Yeah. yeah. And so I think I think it does I think it does matter and I think that um and I'm glad that I'm doing it with you. So. Yeah. So yes, COVID is a mess. Yeah. Um I I have to estimate at this point that probably one in four of my friends of of people that are that I am related to or in touch with on a fairly regular basis mm. um have contracted or have currently the Omicron variant yeah. are currently or most recently sick with COVID. Yeah. It's a variant that is spreading r- rapidly. Um, there are a lot of con- factors that contribute to that, but it really is getting to a lot of folks who avoided it for mm-hmm. so long. Um, and I think that there's some, uh, risk that 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 folks are taking, uh, man, like managed risk that folks are taking because they are vaccinated and they are boosted and they are content. You know, they they now they need to work, they need to be in the world, they're doing their thing, and they recognize that it is possible that they might contract Omicron, mm-hmm. um, but they are resting in the safety and efficacy of the vaccines that they've been Mm -hmm. given to know that it will likely be a cold, maybe a little fever and they'll quarantine and they'll get past it in, in much in the way that you and I have dealt with getting the flu or getting any other kind of sickness for the entirety of our lives. And so I am, I am curious to, see how this continues to pan out. I mean, it is no secret that the large majority of the cases that are in the hospitals right now are cases of those folks who have not been willing to or cannot because of other conditions be vaccinated. Right. And I am most worried for those who cannot be vaccinated because of of, um, you know, whatever pre-existing condition they may have, or um, those who have been vaccinated and also have comorbidities that are making even Omicron very dangerous dangerous for them, even though they've been vaccinated and boosted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think a lot about the immunocompromised and especially those for whom they are already fighting 
a disease. Correct. And they can't receive the vaccination because it might compromise their immunity. And what an isolating life that must be. And, you know, I'm, as I, as I, as I look at 2022 and I think about how might we forge community in this day, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and, and a lot of possibility in the midst of that uncertainty. Uh, but I, I've also just been thinking a lot about folks who, you know, for whom just going to the pharmacy to get a vaccine is not, not in their to-do list. Right. It is, um, yeah, it is terrifying. It's terrifying for me on behalf of them. Um, and then I also continue to shake my head at those who believe that this disease is a farce and is yeah. made up and is politicized. And I, 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 I don't know what to do with it anymore. Yeah. I just <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, so it has been about a month since we gathered together on the microphones. Mm -hmm. uh, what's been going on with you? What's been up? Well, you know, I tend to take the month of December off so that I can enjoy Advent and kind of ground myself in practices of wintering. And December proved to be really busy and not as restful as I wanted it to be. Um, but it was nonetheless a good end of the good into the year. Uh, Aaron and I traveled a bit to see family, which, you know, you, you receive some of the messages of impromptu recorder concerts and, and whatnot. <laughs> and, did. um, and I, you know, wanted to, poke my ears out. I was so glad to be included in the <laughs> concert. It really, it really was lovely. Um, yeah, friends, there are a few things worse than, um, well, I don't say that there, there are a lot of things worse than, but, um, many of you have either played a recorder or, um, have heard someone playing a recorder, um, as a child or as a grown up, And, um, it's a, it's a beautiful sound. Yeah. When you hit the notes. Yeah. Yeah. When you hit the notes. <laughs> Operative word there. So so we visited family and we were up in Boston seeing Aaron's mom. And that was a much better visit than seeing her dad. Um, so, you know, we got some good family time in. Um, but, you know, it's hard to be away from home. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm in the same way that you need to be at the Saints game. I need to be at home. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I'm so particular about my space. And um, so I really missed being at home, even though it was lovely to get out of Nashville for a little bit. Um, but, you know, uh this week, my Duke class started, so I'm teaching this week, and we're reading Foucault 
every day this week and that's going well. Um, and, you know, in the mix of uh, holiday celebrations and getting away for a little bit, I, you know, I also experienced the loss of two friends, uh, one from suicide and one from gun violence. And, um, you know, navigating grief and loss and, uh, you know, it's a nonlinear process, but part of our our journey on this side of, of the horizon. Um, and now we're already in mid January. Right. And so I don't know where the month has gone. Um, but here we are. Yes. You, you have had, you have had a busy month. It's like you, you traveled more than I did. Yeah. Um, and yet, um, I feel like I got, way less accomplished. Mm. Um, I mean, I still have Christmas presents that I haven't mailed. Um, yours being one of them. So, you know, then there's that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I found myself really hitting a wall. I, December was so busy for me with um, my t-shirt business and mm-hmm. it was, it was wonderful from a business standpoint and, you know, capitalism be damned. You know, money, it's still the water we swim in, as we right. say. And, you know, like, you know, mama's, mama's got to make some money. Mama's got to yep. pay, for, pay for these shirts she prints. So yeah. I um, I was, you know, trying to get rid of a lot of my inventory and was hustling hard and really kind of working right up until uh, Christmas Eve. And you were working seven days, seven days a week. I was. Yeah, I was working a lot. And so I really found myself on Christmas Eve just hitting a wall. Just... Yeah. Um, kind of listening to my body, recognizing that um, rest was not something that I had prioritized, um, you know, in some ways out of necessity, in other ways out of choice. And I had intended to kind of work um, or, I mean, or at least kind of get some things done the week between Christmas and New Year's. And I uh, didn't. Mm -hmm. I, (laughs) I didn't travel for Christmas. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't travel for New Year's. I went out and had a fun New Year's Eve with some friends here locally, but I didn't do much of anything. And it was difficult for me yeah. because I do get bored very quickly. And I, yeah. I really do have a hard time sitting around and doing next to nothing. But I did a bunch of jigsaw puzzles and crossword puzzles and mm. um, did a little bit of art. Mm. And I I needed that rest more than I mm. realized I needed it. And so much so that it was very difficult for me to ramp back up again Yeah, after the holiday was over. Um, I, I wonder if you experience this in the same way I do. Um You know, I love to, like, take a siesta and rest, but my mind is, like, always going and, like, I should be writing this, I should be doing this. And I'm just curious because we are both neurodiverse in similar but different ways. And I'm just wondering if your mind 
if that's one reason or one way that you have a hard time slowing down and doing nothing is because your mind is always going. Oh, for sure. I am, I am, I keep, I keep a to-do list. I still make lists because my ADD makes it very difficult for me to remember things Right. that I, you know, I mean, I remember it for a moment and then it's out of my, my head, but I am, I am an, I feel like I'm in a constant state of imagining uh-huh. and that imagining is everything from, uh, you know, what, what should the church be doing in these, in this moment to, is there anything important for me to say right now to, I, I have an idea for a painting that I really want to get on canvas mm. to, um, you know, there's a, if I'm watching a show, I, my, my brain goes off in tangents of corollaries and things that I'm connecting to it that I, I mean, yeah. yes, it is a never ending, um, kind of cycle for me in my head. And I, yeah. I have a very hard time turning it off. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, that's a lot of, you know, when I lay down is when I, that internal dialogue begins about, oh, I could start the next book this way, or I could talk about this. And then by the time I wake up, you know, the idea is gone. But um, it's a, it's both a gift and a curse. Right. (laughs) You know, like, I'm grateful that I am so stimulated by my mind. And also, I just wish that it would be quiet for a little bit so that I wouldn't think that I need to always be doing something. Same. Yeah. So, um, I received a Christmas gift. Oh. From a family member. Yes. Uh, that is a book on, that, that contains 97 short stories about how Satan is influencing my life. <laughs> right. I, I got this picture. <laughs> um, Did you read it? <laughs> I haven't read it. No, <laughs> I'm still dying to decide what to do with it. Whether I, do you know what stories are covered? Um, they're, they're, they're personal stories to the, to the author. Oh, so they're anecdotal stories about how Satan is controlling the author's life and therefore would also be controlling mine in the same scenarios. Is the subtext that you have gone astray? I, I, from the author, yes, that everyone has gone astray. I don't know what this, I don't know what the uh, intent was behind the gift. Actually, I do know what the intent was. Um, this is an author. The author is someone that I used to go to church with in a it kind of a, a long time ago. Yeah, and uh, so I know I know the person that wrote this book, and and I think that the intent was that I be gifted a piece of their art, and um, yeah. So that was that was my most outrageous the Christmas present that, that generated the most conversation yeah. around the table. Yeah. Um, what about you? Did you get any interesting Christmas presents? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, 
That was a complete setup. I don't know what you're talking about. I, <laughs> I just wanted to know if you had any interesting Christmas presents. So, I mean, I don't think I need to repeat this, but just for the sake of clarity, mm-hmm. I'm transgender. <gasps> I know it's a big shock. What? Which means that even though I was assigned female at birth, I don't identify as female, girl, or woman. Yes. Now, for most of the people in my life, like 99% of the people in my life, that, that's not an issue. It's, it's not a question. Um, but Aaron's stepmother has a hard time grasping this. And so she gave me an Indian purse with fringe for Christmas. And I immediately went in. Yeah, it's very colorful. I immediately went into my inner gay man persona and said, oh, I can put my iPad in this and so many other things. And looked at Aaron with a horrifying look. And then later tried to have a conversation at the dinner table about cultural appropriation, not related to the purse, just have a conversation. Right. It didn't go over well. It did not go over well, and they didn't get it. And so I am now stuck with an Indian purse with fringe, but I hear that fringe is coming back. It is. It's very, it's going to, it's quite the trend. I believe that there might be a way for you to continue to challenge your inner gay man and just rock the shit out of that merce. Well, I was thinking, do you know sometimes when Ruby comes to visit? Ah, yes. I was thinking maybe it could be Ruby's purse. That's a great idea. That's that's an excellent idea. That sounds like a great gift. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I got an Indian, an Indian purse with fringe. That's awesome. So, anything else happen over the holidays that you want to talk about? Or should we um, talk about the shit show that is uh, the American uh, landscape right now? Well, I will say this, that Aaron and I went to Gatlinburg um, to scope it out for potential nuptial ceremony. And everyone and their dog and cat was there. You you would think that there was no pandemic. We waited two hours to get food one night. And we were there for two nights. And we thought, oh, it'd be a lovely, like, we'll be in the mountains. We'll, like, drive around. Nope. It was, like, fucking Lower Broadway in Nashville. Look, if Dolly Parton's close, then people want to be there. Right. Right. So we've scrapped the idea of nuptials in the mountains and decided to keep it close to home. I I was uh, the recipient of some of your FaceTime calls <laughs> while you were in Gatlinburg as yeah. you were, because um, you had not been before. So you were experiencing Gatlinburg for the first time. Yes. And um, it is, it is an experience. I was shell shocked. <laughs> yes, it's it's um it is it is a place where 
lots of fun can be had if you are in a very specific state of mind. Right. For that type of fun and and culture and enjoyment. And it's not at all an indictment on, you know, the people of East Tennessee. I, I have many people that, that live in and around those areas that I adore and that are very fond of that area. Um, but it, it, it is something that is um, you, like you have to prepare yourself for it. Yeah, it's also called the Redneck Riviera. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that. I hate it. I, I mean, I hate the, I hate the term redneck in and of itself. Um, but you know, there's also not a river that is even close to being considered Riviera-ish. <laughs> Why is it called that? I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how it got that nickname. It's so bizarre. It is. But it's like Dolly Parton, Dolly, Dolly everything. Dolly, yes. Yes. I mean, Dollywood is there. Um, Sevierville, Gatlinburg. I mean, that, that entire area is fueled by tourism. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is a beautiful setting. I mean, some of the homes and the scenes and scenery from the mountains in Gatlinburg is second to none. Gorgeous. And Um, also there are a lot of Confederate flags there. There are. Yes. There. Yes. It is. It's an area that is not free from problems. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So we went there for two nights and let me tell you, I I have never been so glad to find a Starbucks (laughs) in Knoxville (laughs) and to get out of the country as I was that, that day. Yes. And then of course, we got home, we unpacked, we left for Boston the following day. Um, and so we were like, now for something completely different. Yes. Yeah, I didn't travel at all over the holidays, um, with the exception of, you mentioned earlier, I, I did go down to Atlanta this past weekend and watch the watch an NFL football game. Mm-hmm. I am a, um, a New Orleans Saints fan, and the Saints were in town to play the Falcons, and it was a it was a fun time. It was yeah. it was a really fun time. So that that's about that's about the extent of where I've been. I've been living vicariously through you. That's for sure. <laughs> you've been you've been telling me about the Boston weather and sharing stories of Gatlinburg and of you know South Carolina, and it's it's been great. So yeah, but we are we are back. We are working hard at the uh, the work that's ahead of us, and you know. It's time to time to put the holidays away and get ourselves get ready back for, to work. Get ourselves, yeah, ready for work. So yeah, but I, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to maybe doing a live recording in Chattanooga sometime this yes. year. And I know that we're supposed to go to Austin. Yes. To to do that, um, yeah. hopefully that things will clear up by then. But I'm I'm really looking forward to doing some of this in person and actually being with people if we can. Yes. Yeah, me too, for sure. I am I am excited about And you're like a local rock star because when you go to the grocery store, they're like, Are you on the Activist Theology podcast? <laughs> I did have and... someone say yes, I did have someone say that to me. Yeah. Yes, it was it was really sweet. Yeah. Um, it was really sweet. I did feel a little bit like a rock star and yeah. also um like I feel like my hair just gives me away. So 
it's a little bit of both and. It is. It is. It yeah. is. So we have not seen a ton of work coming out of Washington. Right. Because they've all been on holiday too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is becoming more and more clear that Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema are nothing but problematic mm-hmm. when it comes to trying to implement policy that is not going to save us, but is going to at least get some, get, get, get things a little better for some in the, in the country. Yeah. Um, we saw the convict, the sentencing of the murderers of Ahmad Arbery. Right. And they were convicted in 2021, but sentenced this past week. And the judge levied the kind of sentencing that all of us would have hoped for. Right. Life in prison without parole for the two that were um, convicted of of the murder. Right. And... um, what else have we seen going on? We've seen a, we've seen a lot. We've seen a lot happening over the last month. Well, the um, the the conviction of the police officer, the white woman who killed that we saw that come through, um, and I can't remember her name, but uh, that came through the pipeline. She was found guilty. And and I want to say that with the exception of... The woman that killed Jacob, Jacob Blake. Yeah. 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 With the exception of... Um, oh, what's the police officer's name who murdered George Floyd? Um, Derek Chauvin. Yeah. yeah. Derek Chauvin, I think, was the first cop that was found guilty right out of all these police shootings yes and then she's the second yes right i think i think my math is right about that i I think so too yes um so but it feels uh, it feels as if there we are we are beginning to see DAs and juries and judges recognize that those who work within law enforcement are are never without uh, crime. Are, are you know are are whatever they do is is just a free for all. I mean, for for many many years. For I mean, as long as I've been alive. Right. You know, cops are free from the law, free from being penalized. And it's it feels as if maybe I'm too optimistic, but it feels as if there we we have a couple of cases that are setting um, an example for how those within law enforcement and the judicial system can hold one another accountable and realize that they're doing the right thing yeah. instead of kind of creating this shield of protection around them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if any of that will change uh, long-term, right. but it has been, it has been nice to watch 
um, to just watch those two police officers be convicted and to see judges in the state of Georgia, of all places. Right. Levy sentencing on the murderers of a black man in the way that they should. Right. And and I did see something on the news and I've I'm not read the New York Times in a bit. That's that's the one newspaper that I do read on the regular. Um that Joe Biden says he's going after Georgia. And I don't know what that's about and I don't know if that's about voting rights or if that's a gubernatorial race. Or what? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure either. I have not. I have not watched the news in the last day and a half, so I'm not sure either. Yeah. I would assume it's about voting rights. Um, I mean, we we have got to get the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed. I, I just don't. I just can't understand how this yeah. isn't something that is a nonpartisan issue, and it it is just a given. Right. Uh, and it's just disgusting to me that yeah. that even even Republican and independent um, senators are contemplating how they can thwart that that action. Just, well, and and do you know what they're doing here in Nashville? Is they're redlining Davidson County to break it up as a Democratic city? Yes, they're doing the same here in Chattanooga. They are redistricting. They are redistricting Chattanooga to add two more districts so that they can add two more council people and two more school board members. And they are to make it a super majority to make Republican. It a super majority yeah. of Republicans. And they are literally drawing the lines on the districts to cut out neighborhoods that would make the election of a Republican difficult oh. in order for there to be a, a close, a close majority or a, you know, a close vote in, in almost any in instance. It's so, you know, I, I, I don't deal in electoral politics because I don't think it's our salvation, but there, there are a lot of people who have put a lot of money and time into this to make it a power and control battle. And, you know, we're we going to get to the point where voting our conscience is not even going to be possible because of all the redistricting. And so I'm really curious if, if electoral politics isn't our salvation, what is? Because we're we're gonna we already have an untenable situation. Correct. Correct. I mean, we are we are walking backwards in many ways, in in ways that I didn't think I would see in my lifetime. The fact that abortion rights, the fact that voting rights, um, the, just that those two issues are under fire in two thousand twenty in twenty twenty two. And, and could be flipped in a way that create conditions for inequity 
yeah. that are, are greater than we have seen in centuries. Yeah. It is it's just puzzling to me. Yeah. I, I don't, I just, I don't understand how we have, what, how we have gotten to a point where we are so fixated on winning mm-hmm. that we have lost our compassion for our fellow human. Yeah. It's very scary. It's, it's very scary. I I was talking with uh, Janet Edwards earlier, like I do every Tuesday, and um, she talked about disparity and how the disparity the, is so wide, and and Republicans are trying to widen it more, and and I. I just don't understand why people are so hungry for power and that there's no regard for human life. We are seeing a, a trend that as, as a, as a Christian pastor um, makes me wonder what what these what evangelicals and republicans are reading mm-hmm. that is giving them the the guidance and the basis by which they're they're making these decisions um, there are few things about powers and principalities that jesus doesn't squash mm-hmm. with either a parable or with his actions um, or with um, actually being arrested and ultimately murdered because of the way that he challenged those in power. Um, I I don't, I don't understand what Jesus they're worshiping. Yeah. I don't understand what Jesus they're following. I don't understand what, what tenet of God they are using to justify the actions that they're, that they're moving forward with. Um, and as such, I don't understand. I can't see where God is even showing up in this, mm-hmm. where Jesus is even showing up in this. Um, and that for me, for me as someone who still continues to kind of allow her faith to guide her ethics and the decisions that she makes is, is pondering to me. Well, and and it feels to me like idolatry. And, you know, when we are worshiping power and control, so much so that it replaces a do-no-harm ethic, which is what I think is bound up in both the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Testament, it it comes down to idolatry and you know i i i don't know where i don't know where folks are heading right now and i don't know i don't know if they know like i have a feeling that the gop and the ultra conservative and the extreme right 
that they don't have a vision. They are just trying to counter quote unquote liberalism. Yeah. And I think they're doing it situationally yeah. instead of from a strategic sta- standpoint. Yeah. Um, if they can harness control over the abortion debate, if they can harness control over the critical race theory debate, if they can harness yeah. control over um, the, you know, the conversations around COVID and, and vaccinations, if they can yeah. harness the voting rights. I, I mean, they are, they are doing, they are acting and performing in silos of resistance. Yeah. What they perceive to be resistance to liberalism. But by doing so, as we've stated many times, everything is knitted together. Everything yeah. about this is has a thread or multiple threads that that lead back to other things. And I I am curious to see what falls in their pursuit of the destruction of one. Mm-hmm. What else? What else topples, or what else else becomes unsteady because mm-hmm. of their vigor in yeah. attempting to silo issues yeah. that they think they can, um, you know, use as talking points and use as as, as voting uh, points for for winning additional seats. I started reading uh, Rilke, who is a German mystic who spent some time in Russia. And I'm reading his love poems to God. Yes. They're so lovely. I don't know if you've read that book. I have, the, yes. Um, Rilke's Book of Hours. Yes. And I read something on Sunday or Monday that said we can give shape to our world. And we so desperately need togetherness so that we can give shape to our world. And my theme for the year is to let go of worry and lean into abundance and try to give shape to our world through abundance and through togetherness. I love that. But I, you know, I'm just, I wonder how we do that. When we're so divided. I mean, we are, we as the activist theology project are taking steps to create conditions for us to be together, um, Mm -hmm. both, you know, virtually and hopefully in person uh, throughout this year. And I, and I think it, I, I think it has to begin in the small in the mm-hmm. in the local in the minute um, it has to begin with us recognizing that the relationships that we already have uh, with those that are close to us are worthy of fertilizing mm-hmm. are worthy of growing bigger and greater and stronger mm-hmm. um, and then it is with that, strength, the strength that comes from a robustness of community that is immediately around us, that we have the energies to go and build community, extend that community outward. Yeah. And I think that our problem seems, our problem seems so big. 
mm-hmm. because they are so big. And yet the solutions can be as close to us as looking around the dinner table to those mm-hmm. that we eat with yeah. and being curious about how we extend the relationality with those people mm-hmm. in in intentional ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to think about those that we invite into our table on a regular basis. How do mm-hmm. we grow in intentional ways with those, with those people? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really do believe that there is a, that there is a rightness in the small, mm-hmm. that there's a rightness in our capacity to do the small things well. And then, allow those small things to create ripple effects. Yeah. Um, yeah. If for nothing else, then that's, that's what keeps me going. That's yeah. what keeps me continuing to, to be faithful in those mm-hmm. small things. Um, because otherwise I would feel lost and hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I'm not, I'm not doing myself or anyone else any good. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's a big world with lots of pain and suffering and there are some change agents and, and we are, we are part of that crew and we are, we are doing what we can. Yes. Well, friends, we are thrilled to be starting season three. We season still, three. We still can't believe that it's happening. Um, we're, we're thankful that you were with us on this uh, introductory episode as we kind of break down what's happened for us over the last month and kind of set the stage for where we're going to be heading over the course of this next season. Um, we have lots in store. We're excited to do some traveling, as Robin mentioned, and we're excited to um, have some new and possibly revisiting guests um, Mm -hmm. that you all have heard from before. Um, But more than anything, we're just excited to be able to continue this conversation and to be in virtual community with all of you who listen. Um, We consider you a part of this work. We know that you listen to this podcast because you are trying to figure out how to connect the dots and how to get your hands dirty in the work of liberation And we're grateful for that. We're grateful that you are continuing to be on this journey with us and that um, we're able to be on this journey with you. Mm. Dr. Robin, it's 2022 and we're starting season three. We have so much to do. Let's let freedom ring. We want to thank you for listening this week. We encourage you to share this podcast with your community. If you enjoy us and our work in the world, please give us five stars on your podcast platform. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.com and click on podcast. We can only do this work with the help of you, our listeners. You have no idea how much even a small monthly or one-time gift means to this work. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray. Our sound editor is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. I get my hands dirty. I show up so early. They show me no mercy. So I just keep working. Maybe God could save me. Or my boss might.
You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends.